Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, with this public service announcement. Did you know that California is the first state in the country to have an agency dedicated to promoting and protecting the privacy rights of California residents? The Office of Privacy Protection assists individuals with identity theft and other privacy-related concerns. It also provides consumer education and information on privacy issues, coordinates with local, state, and federal law enforcement on identity theft investigations, and it recommends practices that protect individual privacy rights and to government and businesses. If you have any privacy concerns, visit privacy.ca.gov or call toll-free 866-785-9663. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV, Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other shows. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Evening, Mari. Good evening. Who's your guest tonight? Well, I have to tell you, you know this woman, and she is wonderful. I don't know anybody who doesn't say that Joan McNabb isn't absolutely fabulous and a wonderful privacy leader, and we're so happy to have her on. This is the third time that she's been on with us. I know. She's great. And every time we learn so much. Let me tell you, if you haven't uh, heard the previous interviews, let me tell you a little bit about Joan. Joan McNabb is the chief of the California Office of Privacy Protection, created created by legislation in 2001, the first in the nation office is a resource and advocate on identity theft and other privacy issues. In addition to providing information and education for consumers, the office also publishes privacy practice recommendations for business and other organizations. John McNabb is co-chair of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And by the way, she's also a CIPPG. That means Certified Information Privacy Professional for the Government, which is, she had to take the test I took, plus another one. She is a member of the Privacy Advisory Committee to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Now, before starting at the Office of Privacy Protection and really being the first chief of this Office of Privacy Protection, Joan had over 20 years' experience in public affairs and marketing, both in the public and private sector. She even had the wonderful opportunity to live in France and work for an international marketing company right there in France. Her marketing background gives her a great understanding of the commercial uses of personal information that have become so significant in privacy concerns in recent years. And just all that public relations, she just makes friends wherever she goes. And I'm so glad that she's here because I consider her a a great friend, a mentor, and one of my heroes. Joan, are you there? Uh, Yes, I am. I'm I'm blushing, but I'm still here. (laughs) Thank you, Mari. Well, that's good that you can't see anything here. This is why I like radio. They can't see my my wrinkles. They can't see if I don't have my makeup on right. What I'm wearing. It's great. Indeed. Well, thank you for joining us uh, for joining us all the way from Sacramento this this evening. So let's talk a little bit about the mission of the Office of Privacy Protection here, its history and its future. The California Office of Privacy Protection is not a regulatory body. We're basically an education and advocacy agency in the California Department of Consumer Affairs. So we're we're small, lean but not mean. I like to say there are eight (laughs) point five people. 8.5, 8.5, okay. 8.5, only in government. The point five is a short person who works half-time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She really is. Uh, 
and, and uh, we our our mission is to to empower consumers or individuals with knowledge and and assistance so that they can effectively advocate on their behalf in in privacy uh, controversies and we will intercede for them where appropriate and also to educate uh, businesses government agencies and other organizations that collect personal information on on what are best practices that they can use to uh, protect the information appropriately. Right. So recently you held the third annual California Identity Theft Summit back up in San Francisco. Um, tell us about that program. I wasn't able to go. I went to the other two. Tell me um, and my audience a little bit about that and where they can get materials for that and how it went. Happy to. Um, identity theft is obviously a, a, a big concern to a lot of people. I'd like to look at it as, to some extent, a, a sign of, a, of privacy problems. And what we've been doing in these summits that we've had annually for the past three years is sort of two things. We're investigating and exploring and discussing some of the policy issues related to identity theft and to privacy, and also uh, providing training for all sorts of people in, in uh, various techniques and methods that can help prevent identity theft. So at this most recent one, which was called Protecting Privacy Online, uh, we had two policy panels that, dis- that looked at uh, some of the re- a couple of the real difficult privacy problems today. W- one of them is, how do, is, we called it, Nobody Knows You're a Dog. Right. You know, that, that cartoon, that old, old New Yorker cartoon of two, a dog typing at a typewriter, at the, I mean, typing at a computer, I mean, and saying to another dog, you know, when you're online, nobody knows you're a dog. I, you know, I love that cartoon. I yeah. put it in all my PowerPoints because it is so it, apropos. It's, yeah. I like it, too. So what the people on that panel talked about how, what are some of the risks that that people run um, be- because it's so hard to know who's who online, how-, how we can become identity theft victims with somebody using our credit card line online, you know, where they don't even have to show a fake card. Um, also, what are methods for doing a- for online businesses and government agencies that offer services online doing a better job of authenticating people's identity online? And what are some of the technological approaches to giving us a better grip of who people are online. So that was one of the policy panels. Another one, the other one, was on public records and privacy, which is definitely an issue that we hear a lot about here at the office. We get a lot of calls from people saying, oh, my gosh, my my home address or my all sorts of personal information, it's, it's on this website. How did it get there? Who are these people? Where did they get it? Right. Yeah. You know, and we, we explained to them about open government and public records, and yes, we, we see that there are new kinds of issues and that arise when these records move from the courthouse to the Internet and into everybody else's house. So we had people on that panel talking about the sort of competing interests of open that we we all have in open government and protecting individual privacy and what might be some solutions to that and as i think uh, i'd like to tell you a little later about some legislation that is currently going through the california legislature on that topic right we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes so and then the, the yeah, rest of the summit was the workshops and we had workshops for consumers on how to protect their home computers you know this this is a a big issue, as we all do so much online these days. We have to be sure that we have the appropriate anti-spyware, antivirus firewalls, and that we keep everything up to date on our home computers, where we don't have the help desk like I have here at my office. Right. So that even if we're trying to be careful, our computer may be leaking out our information. So we had workshops like that. We had workshops for notaries on e-notarization, how notaries are operating in the online world. Now, that's a tough one. Sure. It is a tough one. I didn't even realize that was going on. For, for businesses on how to deal with a security breach, how to respond, we had an attorney from New York who has clients who have uh, had some very large incidents to deal with, and so she was sharing with people how to, how to deal with that. Uh, there are nine different workshops for law enforcement, for business, for government, for consumers, and it's all 
free. And that is the best thing about the workshops is that it is a whole day of free information. And I know you've done that and you've done a terrific job. What are you going to have next year? Well, we're we're still in the planning stages. I mean, I don't mean still. We're we're already just in happened. the planning stages. <laughs> yeah. I know. That. You know, from April 11th for one, we're all we're you know talking about the right the, the next, next one. one. So we're thinking it'll probably be in early 2008. And what we're thinking we will do is is cover privacy and identity theft and the topic of another summit we were involved in this year on cyber safety for kids. So we're going to cover children's online safety as well as issues related to adults and other people online in a two-day summit. And we don't know yet where it's going to be. Well, great. And and we can find out all about that at privacy.ca.gov, right? Right. Yes. There's a, there's a link right there to the most recent summit. And on that page, um, you'll not only find out about that summit, but you'll see the report on the two previous ones. And there will soon be the, re- not well, fairly soon, there will be a report on the one that we just had. Terrific. And I know the report goes over all the different workshops and the presentations that people have provided. So that's more free material that anybody can look at. You know, Joan, I've I've been getting a lot of calls about this, and and maybe this is something you're going to want to talk about next year, but I have been dealing with this a lot with cyber identity theft, but this is not for credit cards. This is cyber identity theft where someone will assume your identity and put up a website or um, put up a an email that looks like it's from you, mm-hmm. a Hotmail account, and then try and discredit you or get revenge yeah. or, I mean, or other kinds of cyber bullying. And I'm, I'm getting more and more of these calls that are really horrendous. In fact, we had a woman on our show, Claire, Miller, who was actually on our show, who was the victim of uh, cyber identity theft. I don't know if you remember that, but she was also, we got her in the New York Times. And what happened to her was somebody that she knew from high school or college, we found out later, had taken her personal information and put it up on a dating website and asked people to come and see her and, and made it and alluded to the fact that maybe she was you know, hot to trot, so shall mm-hmm. we say, and things that were not like her at all, and mm-hmm. and gave her phone number, gave her address, oh my and gosh. people were coming to her door in Manhattan and calling her, and it was really pretty terrifying. And uh, law enforcement said they couldn't do anything. Um, she wrote to the websites. They wouldn't do anything. She contacted me a little bit uh, later, and w- what I ended up doing was getting Tom Zeller from the New York Times involved. And as soon as we got it in the New York Times, suddenly the law enforcement was helping her. And we did end up being able to get all of the documentation that we could from the various websites. It wasn't just one website, but it was several that, yeah. that this person did it to to her. And um, so it, it turned out okay, and, and yes, that stuff came down, but you know as well as I do, this stuff really never goes away. Yeah, it, yeah. it is replicated, and somebody else can pick it up. And yep. and then I got a call just in a few weeks ago from an attorney who um, was trying to get a job in California, and found out that one of her old associates from law school back in another state had put up information about her that was defamatory, and she was offered a job out here in California and then denied. I don't know if you heard about it. I think I gave her your number to call, but I'm, I, uh, I'm, tr- I was trying to help her, and I referred her some things. But this kind of a cyberbullying and cyber stalking and cyber defamation and I think this is even scarier than just getting your, you know, your uh, credit card online because that's something you can deal with. This is something that is so horrendous, and the emotions that I hear are are just devastating and and very difficult um, to to get law enforcement action, and often difficult to figure out who it is exactly doing it. It sounds like I don't think we we got a call from this person. Uh, well, I, I probably got her what she needed right now, and, and mm-hmm. she's going to be coming down. I'm hoping she'll come on the show, too. I think she will. Yeah. But, you know, another thing that we just talked about um, with another a guest, and this is a big one, for employment, people now will Google you. 
Mm-hmm. Okay? And mm-hmm. if they Google you instead of getting a real background check, who knows what they're going to come up with with the Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are when I've Googled myself, things have come up which I was so shocked. There was an article that I supposedly wrote that I don't remember writing. <laughs> Did you contact Google? Um, no, I didn't. I con- you know, they will often... It kind of depends on the nature of the information, but if you if you contact them, and there's a way to do it through the website uh, uh, about information that is in some way inaccurate or offensive about you, and I'm not quite sure right now what the standards are, they they will take it down for you. Now that doesn't mean it isn't still out there that you know it hasn't been archived, right? Somebody hasn't already gotten it, but at least it can stop it from being, you know, there. I, like I know they'll take out take down social security, take it out of their search mechanism, right. that is. Yeah. Right. Which is, which is good. You want that done. Absolutely. But like, social, like credit card numbers, social security numbers, if that kind of stuff gets posted and you see it, you they can remove it from their search. So, so John, can you do that with all the search engines besides Google? I don't know. I don't know. Now, that would be a neat panel, I that think. Would be a, that would be a neat thing. It, and, you know, in the, um, the privacy and public records issue, uh, one of the... Um, Things that has been suggested many times that I think would be a good idea would be if um, all websites that post public record information. Okay, we're it's public. I know. So, that, so that there it is at this point. So now it's got my my information that was available from public records. If if they had a, a bill, if they offered people the opportunity to have their information removed, some some do, but they don't all. And it, it it seems like a very reasonable thing for them to offer. Most people most people will probably not take advantage of it. They won't even know their information is there. Or right, they, right. Or, or they'll they'll you know just not take the, the step to do it, even if they do know. But some people really will want to take advantage of that, just on general principles, as well as people who have reason to not want things like their address out there in public. Maybe they're stalking vic- victims or something. But, John, what about the ones that are incorrect? I think you know about yes, the, the, yeah, like Ray Lorenzo, yeah. you know my the story of mm-hmm. that client, and he was on our mm-hmm. show, too. And, you know, I literally went through hell and high water with him mm-hmm. to to get public records corrected, yep. you know, that were erroneous. And that's happened with many, many people who've called us is they've, they found out that there was uh, erroneous information that kept them from getting a job. Or, or if they're wrongly associated, where it's not that the record is wrong, it's just, that's not me. It's, it's somebody else with the same or similar name or some other identifying trait, and it got, you know, sucked Merged, into my yeah. file. Like so a mixed not, file, yeah. yeah. So the record isn't wrong, but it's not my record. And, and it's I, I, that's the kind of issues that were talked about on, on this public records panel at the summit, and I, I think that's something that we need to be looking at. Uh, right. At the, Society. Did you did you have any victims of really horrendous criminal identity theft where where maybe they got it cleaned up and the records were still wrong? Yes, we have dealt with some of that. You yeah, no, I meant on, on your camp on your no, panel. No, no, oh. no, no, no. Oh, okay. No. But anyway, if you want some people maybe for your panel that could tell their story, just let me know because I'm hearing some really horrendous stories that that we're trying to deal with, but it's all part of this wonderful networking that we have that has the dark side to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can go online and be anonymous and say anything you want about somebody. And that is, you know, it's not like in the olden days where kids, for example, when you were talking about maybe having cyber bullying and cyber uh, cyber identity theft and cyber issues mm-hmm. for kids. And, and I hadn't really thought of it for adults. I, I'm not aware that we've gotten calls about that sort of thing where it was somebody intentionally doing it. I'd, we, we could have, and it just that I don't know about it. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I've also gotten calls about people, um, you know, when they use the, the email to, to send these embarrassing things that yes, would embarrass yes. someone yep. that, uh, to, you know, for maybe in a custody dispute, yep. uh, that's happened, or to get somebody fired. Mm-hmm. or to discredit them with their boards. I mean, I, I've heard these kinds of things. So, But getting back to the kids, you know, in the olden days, kids could go into the, to the bathroom and, and write something on the wall like Sally stinks right. or something. You and, know? Now they, and now they can put it on MySpace or whatever, and there it is. Right, or, or put 
you know, even try and embarrass him and put the head, Sally's head on, mm-hmm. on Anna Nicole Smith's yeah. body, you know, mm-hmm. and, and do all sorts of embarrassing things. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is, I think, a huge issue. And we're seeing a great deal of cyber identity theft and, and just the cyber phishing. We have a woman that's going to come on our show in, in a few weeks, and she's right here in Orange County. And she put her, um, her, uh, you know, uh, uh, her resume up on Monster.com, mm-hmm. and someone contacted her about a job, and they didn't ask her for a social. She all the things that she had read, you're not supposed to do. They didn't mm-hmm. ask her about any of these things, but um, they hired her and asked. They said that they were, uh, you know, a company from outside the country, and would she collect these checks that would come to her, put them in her bank, and then send money to oh, them? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. know about that, right? So here she is, a young woman, really mm-hmm. trying to get her life together, and she thought, well, I'm safe because I didn't get my social security number. And anyway, she was the victim of this scam and lost about $7,000, and obviously her bank won't help her because mm-hmm. it, was not, it wasn't like someone They didn't took, do anything. Right, they didn't yeah. do anything. She, the only thing that she says is that they didn't follow their own procedure by putting the check in and make, putting a hold on it for a couple days. Mm-hmm. But, but be that as it may, that really was something that, that she wasn't aware of. So I think that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, cyber, and it, was, it wasn't the same thing as phishing like we think of where you get this yep. email from an authentic-looking company that asks for information to go to a website. Yeah, it's, this it's is another kind of scam. Exactly. And yep. these cyber scams are really uh, privacy invasions. They're, they're horrible. Indeed. Yeah. So anyway, those are some ideas we can brainstorm for your next yeah, <laughs> next great. year. Good. But but that seems to be an issue that I'm getting a lot of questions about. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of privacy bills. Let's get back to that because I know you you want to tell us about some of these exciting bills. Um, let's go over uh, the the bills that are pending right now in the legislature and in privacy and tell us about them and which are the most important. Well. All of the bills that I'll mention are on our website at privacy.ca.gov on the on the legislation page, logically enough. Um, there's brief descriptions, and then you can go through. There's a link that will get you through so you can see, read the bill and read the committee analyses and stuff. So I'm just going to mention a few of them. I was, I've been sort of looking for, for themes, and we do seem to have a couple of themes right, right now in the legislature. Um, one theme is RFID, the radio frequency ID tags. I don't know if you've done shows on RFID. Yes, and as a matter oh. of fact, um, about a month ago, we had Senator Sumitian on. All so, right. Okay. So you're probably going to talk about his five bills. So since you've done a, a whole show with him, I will mention that that he that he he's been that he's been um, uh, presenting bills to prohibit or limit the use of these, these radio frequency ID chips on identification cards primarily for a couple of years and and this year he's been he's broken it down into a, a whole bunch of them what one of them is the the basic one that he's been working on and that is uh SB28 which is and also SB30 which are is related to RFID on driver's licenses or on other government ID cards. And well, listen, let's let's talk a little bit, even though he was on a few weeks ago, we don't mm-hmm. know if everybody heard. So tell, if you could just tell an overview of what his, you know, what the concern is and yeah. what this addresses so they can support the bill if they're concerned. Well, the, the concern, uh, RFID chip is a, a uh, device that, that emits a little radio signal that can be picked up by a special reader. And it doesn't require contact. And it's, it's usually it's an RFID device that is in the kind of card key that I've got in my pocket right now for getting into my building and into my suite in the building. And I move it up close to the reader, but I don't have to put it right next to the reader. Right? I don't have to scan it through like, like you do with an ATM card. You just get kind of close. Yeah, it's like the toll, the toll road. We have all of those little transponders. Yeah, it's, right, it's like that, just like that. And... and the benefits of being able to read it from a distance, you know, it can be convenient, and it can be fast, and it seems like a, a, a one, one the, the initial uses of it out there in the marketplace have been uh, an inventory control, so they can scan devices to sort of walk by the big pallets and know how many cans of whatever it is you've got, and that seems just delightful. When you start, uh, the concerns have arisen when considering the use of RFID on 
connected with people's personal information. And the nature of the, the concern is that it turns out that in some cases, depending on exactly the technology used, the, these things can be read from a, a, a greater distance than a few inches, up to 20 or 30 feet in some cases, and by by other people's unauthorized small devices. And so it's looked at as a risk, depending on what kind of information is involved on it, is, is encoded on it. It's a privacy risk, an identity theft risk, you know. So that's been the concern. And what, what the legislation proposes is to either not have this kind of kind of device on a, a driver's license or a, an ID, government ID document, or if it's there, to have certain protections built into it, such as a, a shield so that it couldn't be read from afar, such as encryption so that you have to have the key to be able to read it, other, other things like that. And that and, makes so much sense that, I mean, if, if you have a technology, make sure that it is it has the privacy protections and the safeguards in it so people can't be injured. And, and, and the opponent's concern has been uh, not wanting to... Uh, stamp out a an emerging technology, not wanting to inhibit the development of an emerging technology. So it's been a debate in the legislature, and, and uh, we'll have to see how it comes out this year. Right, right. So okay. he's got he's got those two bills, basically with the uh, identifiers, and also for children not having to wear the, yes. um, have an RFID in their student ID, right? Right, and then also um, uh, to make it a special crime for someone to, an authorized person to remotely read, you know, to pick up the, right. the emissions from an RFID document. Right, if they're, if they're not authorized. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Okay, so that so one's a good those. one, yeah. Then there's a number of them that deal with with Social Security numbers in public records. So we the law in California on privacy and public records is, is kind of interesting. We have the Public Records Act which says that sort of as a default all government records are public that the public has a need and a right to know what their government is doing and that they have access to government records right. then there are certain exceptions in the public records act there are certain kinds of records that aren't public and then there is another law called the information practices act that applies to state government agencies that says that state government agencies must protect from unauthorized access, use, disclosure, et cetera, uh, personal information. So the way those two kind of clumsily work together is when a state agency, like the Department of Consumer Affairs, where my office is, when we release government documents in response to a Public Records Act request, we first black out or redact personal information in them. So you still get the record, but you don't get somebody's social security number, for example. Right. Isn't that like what happens with um, death certificates if you're not a member of, of the family? That well, is so with, with, with birth certificates, it's really just the index of birth certificates where, where they're not even there. We've made some changes in the, in the laws regarding um, vital statistics records a few years ago, a couple of Jackie Spears right. Spear bills that right. changed them to actually remove the social security number from uh, the mother's, it's the mother's social security number that's on the birth record, and it, the decedent's birth uh, social security number on the death record. Right. And those are removed from the index, that is the complete set of them, but you can still get individual records. Right. Actually, it's the mother's maiden name on the birth records. There is no social security number on a birth on a birth. Um, mine actually, when I well, of course maybe that's in Illinois, but yeah. mine had my mom's and my dad's social security number. Uh, on the public part in California, it doesn't. Oh, good, good. Okay. So, so did it they, ever? Did it ever? No. Okay. Not, actually, I don't know. I thought it did. I thought that was something that it did, but it no it, longer does. It didn't does. get changed recently. What they changed was the index. I see. So that's like when when genealogy sites, for example, you know, sure. buy the whole list of all the California births from this date to that date for genealogical purposes. That's the they buy the whole list. They don't buy it record by record by record by name. And from that whole list, it doesn't. It no longer has the mother's maiden name, or if it's the death certificate, it no longer has the social. Right, right. So, so the anomaly of the current law, one of the anomalies, is the 
While the Public Records Act applies to local government agencies, the Information Practices Act, or the Government Privacy Act, does not. So where things like Social Security numbers get into the public record stream and then onto the Internet generally is coming from local government. So there are a couple of bills, uh, a number of bills, that ad- address Social secu- Security numbers on local government records requiring that the numbers be redacted down to the last four digits only. Right. One of them is AB 1168. That's, and it, it says that co- colleges and universities in California, not just public, but all of them, and local government agencies, and the Franchise Tax Board for lien abstracts and other public records that they all have to redact down to the last four digits. Then there's SB 216 by, by Cox, and that, set, that says abstracts of judgment have to redact down to the last four digits. There's a similar bill to Cox's, SB 644, Correa. And then there's SB 904, Batten, um, which says that county recorders with whom uh, veterans gen- generally file their their um, getting out of the military record. What is that? Their discharge Yeah, papers. the discharge, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, the DD-214s, when they go to file them, those, of course, have their Social Security number because it's their military ID number. Sure. That, that um, if this law, if this bill were to become law, then if the veteran asked the county recorder to redact that number, then, then the county recorder would have to do if it. If they ask them, can't if they just do they it? They have to ask. Oh, goodness. That's so stupid because most people won't even know about it. And a, a couple of years ago, a, a sim, I think it was, might have even have been the same author, a, a bill was passed that is the law now that says that the county recorder, that, and this helps, the county recorder has to tell them at the time that they're filing their discharge papers, this, is be- this will become a public record and have them sign something saying they understand that. So that... So well, maybe they should have an admonition to say, and by the way, your SSN is on here. Do you want that redacted? And, and, and that could be something that could happen through that bill. I don't know. Right, what right. I mean, it would make sense. That could just yeah. be a policy a procedure. Yeah. yeah. No, but, that's good. At least it would be brought to their attention by existing law. Right. So there are a couple of other bills relating to Social Security numbers because, you know, that still remains a major concern for identity theft. Right. Um, one of them is SB 741 by Ackerman, and that is to um, require schools and school districts not to include the Social Security number on school materials sent home unless there's a federal law saying it has to be there. No, in fact, it just requires them to admit it, period. Right, right. And then there's AB 703 Ruskin, which hasn't been heard yet, so I I don't know how... What's going to happen? This won't be going anywhere this year, but maybe next year. AB 703 Ruskin prohibits the use of Social Security number as an identifier, period, by Mm. anybody, except if it's required by state or federal law. Right. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Everybody ask, why why do I have to have this as my identifier? It makes sense. Well, you know, there there are, as, as I have sometimes remind people, while it's not a great identifier, it, it does sig- significantly uh, narrow down the field of who might be me way beyond if just if you take my name, my city, my birth date. There are a lot of Joan McNabs who could, who could fill that bill depending sure. on where I live. Uh-huh. And there are times when I want to know that, that my tax payment or refund is going to the right Joan McNabb. That, you know, there are times when I, I want to be identified. Right, right. Um, when I don't. <laughs> and it might be okay, like I think we've talked about that many times up in Sacramento about the fact that in, in your committee that, okay, if it's if it's taken as a an authentication, but it not be the right. identifier. In other words, right. it's a backdoor identifier, but you might get an alternative number, but maybe in the initial um when you when you initially become that member or you get that service or you get that benefit, you have to give it, but then you're given an alternative number on your card mm-hmm. and so everything. It doesn't appear on, right. on, in so many databases and so many places. And because it's such a, a badly kept secret, it just doesn't make a very good password. 
Right, right. And then you've got all these security breaches that mm-hmm. if it's sitting out there and it's readily mm-hmm. available, then obviously then you've got uh, the opportunity for more identity theft and, uh, and other privacy invasions. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of, of those bills? And I don't know if you have any more. What do you think have the best chances this year? Well, let me, let me tell you about a couple more. Oh, okay. Uh, I won't stop you. No, no, no. That's good. Okay. It's an ID theft one to plug a hole that, that's, that's been there for a while now. This is SB612 also submitted, and maybe he talked about this when he was on. Um, Right now, the law says that in bringing an identity theft case to court, you know, if you should be so lucky, uh, you, yeah. you can you can go to you can choose a jurisdiction from among from the place where your data was stolen or any of the places where it might have been used, and that's that's desirable because it's not easy to find a place to find a uh, jurisdiction where they're willing to take the case. And so right. you can combine them or go to the one where they'll take the biggest action, but it. it Currently, the law does not say that you can bring the action where in the victim's jurisdiction, which is from the victim's perspective where you want it to be. It's easier for the victim, right? Right. So uh, SB six twelve would include the victim's jurisdiction as a place where the action could be bought. Right. 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 And before that, we passed what a couple years ago yeah. that that you could get a police report. Um, in, in the victim's in jurisdiction, the victim's which jurisdiction. Is critical, right? Right. Impo- you know, one of the things that we find very frustrating here is when we get calls from people from other states whose information was used in California, perhaps with a California company, and they can't understand why California won't take a police report from them. Right. And you know, they've got to go back to their state. So we try to help them find. We help them find what the law is in their state, and and encourage them to you know, get one there and send it out to California, but it's not easy. No, no, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, the, a, lot, a lot of the state laws that we have are, are far more protective than other states, which, Indeed. you know, which kind of leads me to how when we had um, uh, the Privacy Journal on and we had uh, Bob Smith on, he was so happy to say that California is the number one state. We're number pro- one. Number one, and a lot of it's due to you, Joan, since you've been well, there since 2001. Yes. I, 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 can't, I can't take a whole lot of credit, but I'm, I'm glad that it's the case. Um, and and that, very, that one law that allows an identity theft victim to get a police record, report from the local police really is critical because that's that's that police report is what you're going to need to undo the damage. Exactly. And, and in other states, many times they don't have that law, and they can't even get the police report started off. So let me mention one more bill. Yes. Not be- because I think the issue is important, and that is um, AB 1057 bill. And this this is about electronic health records, and particularly about personal health records. And the, the, the bill would, would simply set up an advisory committee on the privacy and security issues and personal health records. And I think that this issue is something that really needs some looking at. You know, this is the idea that as, as part of the move to electronic health records and as sort of a consumer empowerment, so here I am, I, I need to be managing my health, I can, I can have, keep my own health records, there are... Well, there are already and will be even more um, websites that offer to keep your personal health records for you. I think, whoa, now I'm putting all my medical records online or That's I'm drawing scary. them online. And who is it who's got custody of it? To what extent is that website subject How is it to protected? privacy laws? What's their security? What is my computer security? There's, there are a lot of issues. So the idea of um, looking at the health issues of it is a, is a good idea. Let me tell I mean, you privacy, this. Privacy issue. Yeah, let me tell you. I don't know how this bill would relate to this, but let me tell you this true life story that just happened to me recently. Is um, I fainted at a restaurant. You know, I had uh, some, and my husband also. He didn't faint, but we both got kind of a food poisoning, and I fainted. Mm-hmm. They took me to the hospital. So um, when I left the hospital, they said, "There's nothing wrong with you. It's it's just food poisoning." They did everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I asked for my my records. Mm-hmm. And um, and they said, well, you have to pay $15. I said, that's fine. And I paid my $15. And lo and behold, I get an email. And the email has uh, about 50 pages of, of the records. Now, 
this had my social security number on it and it had other sensitive information and it wasn't it was not wasn't encrypted. encrypted not only that you're going to look very convenient good service it was what? yeah it was good <laughs> service but wait you're going to hear about the good service the good service also had mixed into those pages health records of someone else who was there oh, that night God. at the emergency room Oh, my gosh. And I called the hospital, and I told him, I said, this is my concern, just, you know, what you and I just brought up about the encryption, Mm -hmm. and the fact that I got someone else's health records, and scarier than that was one of the things said that I had, what did they say, heart failure, which, oh, yeah, congestive heart failure, (laughs) (laughs) which they told me, you're fine, you're absolutely fine, there's nothing wrong you and I get this thing that says I have congested which I went in because I fainted from something I ate okay mm-hmm. I got sick and we both got sick yeah. that night and and she and the doctor said when I left there's nothing wrong with you you know you might want to follow up if you have any more fainting or anything which I didn't so here it says that so I called them and it's already been and I and I'm gonna have to write them now they promised to get right back to me it's been over a week no one's gotten back to me and of course I'm gonna follow up with a letter but how do you like that? I mean, talk about electronic well, records. You know, and that's a great example of some of the privacy issues with, with electronic health records. And it's not that they can't be addressed. It's just that they need to be in- addressed. And that is, you know, the wonderful thing. They're, they're, I can tell you a good story about electronic health records first, just to okay. show the counter story. And that is uh, the, the Veterans uh, Affairs, the, you know, the U.S. VA, right. and Katrina. So the, there were, I think, two, and, and I heard this from a uh, privacy officer for VA. Uh, there were, I think, two hospitals, veterans hospitals in the Katrina area. Maybe it was, maybe one was in Mississippi, but, you know, in that hurricane area. Yes, yeah. A- and uh, they had, not too long before the hurricane, I believe, they had converted all of their medical records to electronic. So in the hurricane, they the hospitals were put out of business, um, the a number of paper records were underwater. The patients were all relocated to other veterans' hospitals in the vicinity. And in less than a day, their medical records were sent to the right places. Thank God, because then they can get their medicine yep. and, and so they can we, get treatment. Yeah, so There's definitely patient interest in having efficient records moving. And you can see, wow, you can get the right records to the right people at the right time. But as we also know from other electronic record issues, you can also get the wrong records to the wrong people at the right time very <laughs> right. Just, just as fast. <laughs> right, know? right. And, and and other people may have access to it mm-hmm. t- too easily. It can't be locked up with a key into a you know, a drawer or a mm-hmm. cabinet. And so yeah, I mean it's it isn't it true really with all this technology, we've got the dark side and the light side. Mm-hmm. And there is always going to be some great benefits. But I think it's like when we had Senator Semidian on, he said he is not trying to um, for you know stall technology mm-hmm. or thwart it at all. What he says is that's fine. Just build in the safeguards, and I think that's the whole issue with the electronic healthcare privacy issues. Is you know build in some safeguards so that won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this was just amazing to me that I when I opened it up and I have somebody else's and I read I when I called and spoke oh to the house, I read what I had in front of me. I said yep. he was there at the at the emergency room the same night as me and I've got some of his records filtered so into mine. You have some of yours, yeah. And and who knows? Well you know, fortunately, um here in California government there is we are addressing this issue. Uh, there, there is a, a, a committee that's been working as related to a federal grant, but in, involving state entities, the Department of Managed Health Care, Department of Health Services, my office, the state information security officer, some university hospitals, some private sector HMOs and, and other health provider groups, and consumer groups, including Pam Dixon, that have been working on this privacy and security steering committee or task force or whatever it's called, at developing some privacy and security, fleshing out the privacy and security issues related to electronic health records, and we are now moving into a phase of working toward developing some standards. So we're actually addressing them up front here in California before galloping ahead. We That's want to great. Keep, keep moving ahead because there are real benefits 
potential out there, but we want to do it the right way. Well, we, you know, the other thing is, is we know it's going to happen. So we might as well build in right now Mm -hmm. to have a a solid structure. And I think build it in, don't build it on. Right, right, right. Be, don't be reactive, be proactive. Yeah. But the other thing is, I think if people could write at to to you at privacy.ca.gov, they can send an email and they can tell the little stories that they have and the problems mm-hmm. that they have so that you can, you know, when you have this whole uh, collection of the kinds of problems, then you that, can build in the great. resolutions. Yeah. You know, the, the, we, I think it's something like 3% of the, of the questions that we get are related to health information privacy. So it's not big. 60% of it's identity theft. Um, and... So you know, people may not know to go to you, Joan. That's oh, I know, I know, I know that. So I'm happy to have you tell them. We've got a contact us form. You can just do it right there. Don't give us your social security number. We do not want any personal <laughs> right, information. Right, right, right. We, we say that on that on that page. Right. But, but what we do hear about health privacy issues from people, there's sort of two topics that we hear most about, and, and I think both of these have some relation. Will be interesting to deal with these as we look at uh, electronic records. Um, one is. People are having trouble getting copies of their own records. Right, and I had to write three letters, by the way, to right. get those. Uh-huh. Exactly. Even though they have a right under state and federal law to have to see them and to have copies and you know to challenge and ask for correction and all, it there's it seems in in many cases there are not good procedures set up for doing this. Right. Uh, I had a couple of my staff call a bunch of of uh, HMOs and just call and say, hello, I'm trying to get my records, and just find out what the procedures were. Some of them had really good ones, made it really easy. They knew right away, right from the customer service line, where to go and how to do it. Some of them didn't seem to know what they were talking about. So that's one issue. And that's an issue that electronic records could could help in. Right. You know, it'd, it'd be easier to provide people with copies, ideally not by email, however. <laughs> If it was encrypted, it would be okay, yes. and they give me the key to decrypt. Right. They, you know, that would be set fine. That up. Yeah, there are ways to do it, so they need to look at that. Right. And the other thing that we get calls about all the time, and this is a concern, is uh, people are feel that their employers are getting inappropriate access and making inappropriate use of health information. And right. As, as, as you know, the health privacy laws, federal and state, do not apply to employers. They apply to... Uh, the health plans providers, but not to employers. And and there are other policies and regulations to some extent regarding employers and medical information, but not a lot. Right. And, and, and if you're self-insured, mm-hmm. if the company is self-insured, then it's kind of like, then, you know, it's part of the same family. Yes, exactly. So it may not be you, but it may be somebody else in the building. So that is an issue that, that electronic records potentially kind of exacerbates. It just because it makes it easier for more people to get access. And so one of the things that I've, he- I've heard some people talking about is as we start making the, the records more accessible to more people, we need to bring the laws, uh, the privacy laws, up to date by having them apply to the data, not to who is the holder of the data. Right. So it doesn't matter who you are. If it's medical information, there are certain rules. Oh, great. And that's an interesting idea. I'm just, that's, that's one thing being talked about. Lots of real important issues. And another big one that's, that's facing the whole country and that California is involved with is the Real ID Act. Could you talk a little bit about what's happening with the Real ID, Real ID Act and what California is doing? Yeah. Um, th- this is uh, a, a, the law that was passed in Congress a couple of years ago and that has just recently um, resulted in draft regulations to, to finally sort of clarify what it means. And the, this, this is a law that um, sets national standards for driver's licenses that all states would be required to meet. And the, the, the uh, avowed intent is to make the driver's license a stronger, more secure, more accurate uh, identity certification in order to um, prevent terrorists from passing themselves off as good guys. Right. And we would show this real ID, and it would be standardized across the country, and we would be able to show it on airplanes and trains. It would be required, according to the, to the draft regulations, it would be required 
for access to air to commercial airlines to federal buildings if where they require ID. Right. Uh, and um, one other that is escaping me, right? Oh, for access to nuclear facilities, since right. I have no interest in going into nuclear facilities, that one doesn't <laughs> bother me much. And I suspect <laughs> they put you through a bit more than looking at your driver's license in I'm order to sure get in. I'm sure they would. Yeah, but you know, it would be basically used for everything, right? I mean, everybody and, and their brother would be using and, and, it. You know, as as it is now, you know. Sure. And and, and we find ourselves, and I, I know that you do too, in, in dealing, in counseling people about like merchants about identity theft, look at a picture ID, Sure, we'll say. Don't just say, okay, I'll take your check or I'll take your credit card. We want them to identify people better. That Among the the privacy issues that, that are are being raised with, with the Real ID Act, the, the overall one is by setting a national, you know, on the back of our California driver's licenses, we have a uh, little mag strip that contains encoded basically the information that's on the front of the card. And a law enforcement, it was put there essentially for law enforcement to be able to scan it and get the information faster. Right. When they're pulling somebody over so that they don't get shot. You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Also, it can be used by, and, and sometimes is used by merchants and others in order to see if it's been tampered with to see if you really are 21 before you go into the bar mm-hmm. and so on. And some states have those, they have different. Uh, forms of them, so a, a law enforcement officer in California can't necessarily scan licenses from other states. What Real ID would do, among other things, is set a national technology standard so that any law enforcement official or potentially other person would be able to scan any one of them. And so one of the privacy concerns that, that has been raised is that it just further pushes toward um, secondary uses for for tracking people. Right. And I think people are worried about an RFID in it as well, being read by just getting back to what Semidian was worried about. Although the the draft rule, which is regulation, which is out for public comment, um, says uh, 2D barcode. Right. It doesn't say RFID. Right, right. A a 2D barcode can hold more information than the current mag strip on the California license, but it can't be read from a distance. It has to be scanned, so it doesn't have the some of the issues that come up with with RFID. Right, can't be read remotely. Right. So that's one of the the privacy concerns that has been raised, and another one is that because the um, the Real ID Act and the draft regs require uh, people to require DMVs across the country to verify that an applicant for a license or a, or a, an ID card, you know, that, that DMV issues, that they have to verify that this person doesn't have a license or an ID card with any other state. So it requires the sharing of our state's data with other states. And exactly. The, the concern, and we, we want to know, I mean, we certainly have an interest in fighting identity theft, in, in knowing that, that I don't have 95 different identities, you know, we want to know that this is, the right, this is the person who they say they are, they only have one license, and they aren't going out and doing things in other names. I mean, exactly. That, that, that can protect us all. Uh, the, con- the privacy and security concern here is how well are all the states securing the data if we're going to give them access to ours. Right, right. So that's, uh, and another one is that re- it also requires in order to, better identify who people are when they come in to apply for a license. They're going to have to provide, among other things, birth certificates. And putting aside for the moment the concern about people who, for various reasons, don't have a birth certificate, maybe it was washed away in Katrina, maybe they were born in a small place where they didn't have it, maybe they were born in a foreign country where they didn't have it, you know, so there are issues there. But it then requires DMV to scan and maintain either the paper copies or an electronic database of all these birth certificates. So that becomes a new security issue. How well secured will this data be? What other uses might it be put to? Right. Was there something, wasn't there something originally, and I don't know now, about, about biometric information as well? 
there's it doesn't nothing about it at all. Okay, okay. Nothing I don't remember where I had read. Okay, well that's good. But, um, there, people have talked about that, but that it's nothing in real idea about it. Maybe it was the California DMV task force that talked about the mm-hmm. biometric information I it was. because I I've been, I was on that, and mm-hmm. so I remember we talked at length about yeah, that, and they did. want and I wrote a, a report to them on that. My mm-hmm. my feelings on that. And, and you know that's that's I think that's kind of a mixed bag. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the it's the good uses a, and the danger. Good, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's certainly a it would seem to be a better identifier of who I am than a number that somebody else can find out or even a card. Right. No matter how super duper good it is, can be forged. Right. Right. And, and will be. I think the only concern is the safeguards on that, and can it be mm-hmm. captured, and can it be corrupted, and can mm-hmm. someone, you know, cut my finger off or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you <Yep>. know, <laughs> or, yep. or like and the movie Minority Report, take out my eyes. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you, any any crazy guy can think of something to to disrupt the system, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, but I think that is coming. Obviously, biometrics is coming. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how how safe are we going to make it? Are we going to put like you talked about, you know, building in proactively mm-hmm. the protections from the beginning of the from the beginning and inception of the use of the technology and that makes a whole bit of difference and and, and i think we also need to be looking at um it, in what kinds of transactions do we actually need to identify people there's a lot i mean you can go around shopping and paying cash and not have to identify yourself uh, yeah. i mean there there are all sorts of things that we can do where it's not really critical that that, that anybody know who who we are precisely when we do it. Make, sometimes maybe they even need to know, are you over twenty one? And that's all I need to know. I don't need exactly. to know who you are. I just need to know, are you over twenty one? So we can have more um, subtle and and uh, selective information. Yes, yeah, selective bit revealing of information in order whatever is minimally essential for the transaction. Right, and we should be able to control that. And, you know, that's that's the problem if you've and, got a, a real mm-hmm. ID that has all your credit cards on it, as well as all your personal information, then then you don't have that control, right? Uh, well, real ID doesn't have anything to do with I don't mean the real ID, but if you had an ID that there was, yes. you know, several years ago, well, let's, let's let, you know, uh, private enterprise yes. help with this remember so then you could mm-hmm. have everything in a smart card mm-hmm. everything about you in this little tiny card mm-hmm. but it, but that's part of the danger right yeah yeah exactly that you don't need everything all the time lloyd says we have about three minutes i don't and i i'm not trying to rush you but i wanted to get to the issue of just what's happening in the homeland security if you could just update us a little bit about i know you're probably talking about the real id in Homeland Security, but what other issues are you talking about for privacy in the Homeland Security? Well, the, the, the Privacy Advisory Committee um, to the Department of Homeland Security gives, gives advice to the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security and to the Chief Privacy Officer at Homeland Security uh, on the privacy implications of various programs going on in that department. I think one of the most important things that we've, we've done was our one of our initial uh, uh, products uh, over a year ago, which was our framework for analyzing how uh, for analyzing what the privacy impact is of a program that that the Department of Homeland Security would be considering, and it, that's important. I think it's important because it starts with a a risk analysis where first the first thing to do is look at what what threat is this trying to deal with, how effectively does it do that, then what is the privacy impact. But if it's not doing what it's designed to do and managing a threat or a risk effectively, then we don't even need to get to the privacy impact. Right, right. So you've we set can, this framework that you can use mm-hmm. with every program that they bring to you. And, and you can use it with, it can be used in a lot of other, uh, looking at other programs for privacy sure. impact too. So more recently, um, the, the Privacy Advisory Committee has looked at issues like uh RFID and, on, and the use of RFID for human tracking specifically. And so there, we prepared an issue paper. All of this is available on the, the Homeland Security website at dhs.gov slash privacy. And you'll see the advisory committee and all the papers that we've produced are, are there on that website. So there, there's a paper on RFID for human tracking, which recommended, which pointed out the privacy 
weaknesses and what some of the benefits are, applied the, the framework and ended up recommending if it's going to be used on a document related to a human being, that then it has to have these protections attached to it. Great. Lloyd says we have about a minute. Just Let's just give your website again and um, just thank I'll you. I'll tell you what's on it. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what's on the website. Tell us what's on the website okay. and give it again. It's privacy.ca.gov. We, we have a lot of information for consumers, uh, about a dozen consumer information sheets on topics from the top 10 tips for protecting yourself against identity theft and protecting your computers against viruses, hackers, and spies, oh my. Uh, health privacy, a, a number of issues for consumers. We also have uh, on our recommended practices page documents that, that recommend privacy practices to businesses and other organizations. And we have a state government page that has a bunch of materials, including a uh, training manual for state employees on handling personal information in their job, which is a really important piece. You got you have so much wonderful information, and it's a very easy easy uh, website to, to maneuver. It's privacy.ca.gov and Lloyd has given me the like cut off my head now. So <laughs> so thank you so much, Joan. You are always just a wealth of information. we got to have you on again next year. Oh, you're welcome, Mari. It was great. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net to find out more about our previous and upcoming guests and listen to our archived interviews and down Download our podcast, write us an email, go to www.kuci.org slash privacy piracy. I'm Mari Frank, your host, and thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again next Wednesday at 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI.org and 88.9. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 